I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom Podcast. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Thank you for joining me again this week. You're looking better than ever. Glad to have you here. Let's talk a little bit about what makes perfect parents. What would you say if... I were to ask, what makes a perfect parent? Well, the reality is that there is no such thing as the perfect parent, uh, let's say earthly parent, (laughs) uh, for those of you who might be thinking about uh, in a religious sense, but here on earth, among earthly human beings, There is no such thing as the perfect parent who knows all the answers and never makes any mistakes. I remember when I was a kid, my old mentor, the old Cherokee Indian, Dave Selvage, um, I remember his son Jordan asking him, Dad, who do you think has the best marriage uh, that you know of? you know, like the the healthiest marriage. And he sat and thought about it for a minute, and he said, you know, um, I think uh, me and your mom do. And I was astounded that he wasn't uh, being sarcastic or anything like that. He really meant it. Of all the marriages that he could think of, his marriage was the best marriage. And, um, you know, when it comes to parenting, when it, I, I think back to that, because if somebody were, were to ask me, who do you think uh, that you know of is the best parent that you know of? Uh, I'd have to say myself. Now, remember, that's in the context of knowing that there is no such thing as a perfect parent in this world. So, you know, it's a, it's a relative thing. But let me tell you what makes for a good parent. A good parent understands and um, is consistently aware of and living by the fundamental principles and laws of emotional health. Works very hard to live in harmony with the fundamental laws and principles of emotional health. Another thing is that a good parent understands that every interaction that he or she has with his or her children is 
a message communicated. Yeah. Every interaction with your children, living with that and knowing that, that in every interaction I'm communicating something to my child, which they are internalizing as a truth, as an inherent truth about themselves, their feelings, or the world, other people, relationships, any of these things. That's very important to keep in mind. You know, um, because we're imperfect and because, you know, we're suffering the human condition, um, and we really can only be focused on so much at, at any one time, life can get busy and we can forget that. It's very easy to to not bear that in mind in our interactions with our children. Maybe we default to thinking it, it's unimportant. That every interaction is not really that important. But if you think about it in the, um, the truth of the fact that every interaction does reveal underlying attitudes that you live with about any given thing, well, then it begins to make sense, doesn't it? And then when you realize that especially younger children are trying to draw um, an understanding about the, the whole world, all of life, by watching your attitudes, then, then you begin to realize that every single interaction does matter. Now here's the thing. Because we're not perfect and... Um, and there is no such thing as a perfect parent. What that inevitably, inevitably, <laughs> start going to Elmer Fudd there. What that inevitably means is that mistakes will be made. Parents will make mistakes. I make mistakes. You know, me being the best father I know of out in the world, of anybody, I still make mistakes. So mistakes are unavoidable. It's not reasonable to hold ourselves to a standard of not making any mistakes. That's not reasonable. It's it's unattainable in this life. But even though a good parent might not always get every single thing exactly right, he or she still understands the healthy principles and laws involved. And what this means is that mistakes really aren't that big of a deal. They're not that big of a deal because when mistakes are made, the healthy parent who's being conscious, remember, all the time that every interaction that they have with their children is communicating some uh, inherent truth in the mind of the child, either about the child himself or herself, that child's feelings or the broader world, things in the broader world. Because that parent is always conscious of this, what does it mean when the parent makes a mistake? The parent is aware of that too, right? That this mistake is communicating something that I don't want communicated to my child. I don't want my child taking that, internalizing it, and using it to cement some inherent truth about all of life within themselves based on this mistake 
So what does the healthy parent do in that case then? The healthy parent then sits the child down, like I do with my daughter all the time, and I explain why what I did was a mistake. Why what I did was a mistake. What she probably what she probably felt was communicated by that mistake, why that's not true, and what the healthy truth is instead. So by doing this, it effectively negates any harm that could have been done. So if you think about it, being the healthiest parent you can be does not involve not making mistakes. Instead, what it involves is knowing how to appropriately deal with the mistake once it's made. Isn't that interesting? Being healthy doesn't mean not making mistakes. It means healthfully handling the mistake afterwards. So I do this with my daughter all the time. Um, I think I've talked to you in the past about how we have an arrangement where if she wants my undivided attention in a place where I'm not allowed to get mad under any condi- and under any circumstances, she says, Daddy, can we talk on the couch? And this was something that probably one of the more brilliant things that I come up with as a parent uh, and I highly recommend it to other people. Uh, you know, if your children are older, it might be harder to implement because it might be harder to get them to latch on to it and start um, asking you to the couch of their own initiative. But thankfully, I started this with my daughter when she was two and a half or three years old. And um, in I think really what sold her on it was the fact that I will never get mad at you and I have fiercely held that in my consciousness when anytime she asked me to the couch because I know that if there ever comes a time where I foolishly maybe because I'm tired or hungry or not feeling well or whatever first of all if she ever says daddy can we talk on the couch if I ever foolishly say uh, I, I can't right now, honey. Then it's over. It's over. If I ever get to the couch and I lose my cool uh, while we're sitting on that hollowed ground, uh, it's over. Uh, she she won't she won't trust it again. So it's really when you know when I say it's it's holy ground. <laughs> I mean it. Uh, when she says, Daddy, can we talk on the couch? It's not always, the timing is not always great for me. But no matter what I'm doing, I drop everything and I say yes. And I let her talk for as long as she wants to talk. Sometimes, uh, most of the time, these are things that um, are not earth shattering or anything like that. You know, it's not like, Daddy, I'm pregnant. What? It, it's more like, um, she just wants my undivided attention. So you see, it serves a lot of purposes. First of all, it's a place where she can always express herself completely openly. But the other thing is that it's a sure way for her to have my undivided attention. Um, And it's just worked out very well for us. But implementing something like that, you know, for example, when I make a mistake, a big mistake, in judgment 
or big mistake in jumping to uh, assumptions. Uh, if I lose my temper, uh, which is really not a thing, let me rephrase that. When I get angry for a reason uh, that is a mistaken reason. So what I'm saying is that I, in my mind, I'm pretty certain that I know uh, the situation of a thing and I get angry and then later I find out that I didn't have the whole story. All right, that's what I mean by losing my temper. There is no such thing as a person losing their temper because there's no such thing as controlling emotions. Nobody has that superpower to control their emotions. So slip of the tongue there, I shouldn't have used that phrase, but uh, you understand what I'm saying. There are times where I think I understand a situation, I get angry, and then later I get more details, and I realize that I have jumped to a conclusion that I should not have jumped to. So in those cases, I, uh, you know, once the mistake is made, I feel bad about the mistake, not about myself, but I feel bad about the mistake. Uh, I'll say, honey, can we talk on the couch? Then we talk on the couch, and there you go. I'm calm. She has my full attention. I've had time to think about the thing. So in doing that, then, I negate the mistake. What am I teaching my daughter? I'm teaching her the healthy way to, uh, to look at one's own mistakes, right? So when my daughter makes a mistake, is she going to be beating herself up for the rest of all of eternity? Hopefully not. Because of my example, she'll say, all right, it, the, the bad part is not so much the mistake, it's how the mistake is handled. So she learns that. Um, do you think that she appreciates the fact that I can admit when I've made a mistake? That I'm quick to admit when I've made a mistake. And I'll, here's one thing for you, not only you parents, but you people, you folks who are in uh, relationships. One thing I never do is I just say, you know, honey, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I never do that. I say, honey, I made a mistake, and this is why it was a mistake. I should have considered your feelings first. I should have gotten more details. Um, I should not have talked to you that way. I'm tired, and I'm sorry about that. You know, that's part of the human condition. We all make mistakes. and You know, what I'm saying is that I never speak in generalities. You have to go into detail and say exactly what you're sorry about. And then you know what you got to do? You got to uh, give the person that you have wronged a, a game plan for somehow you, for what you have figured out or a way that you have figured out to avoid that same type of mistake in the future. So, that's advice that you couples can take to heart. You know, don't just say, honey, I'm sorry. Say, honey, I'm sorry. I made a mistake and my mistake was this and this and this and what I should have done instead was this and this and this. And in the future, to avoid this happening again, I'm going to make sure that I get more sleep the night before. Or... Uh, I never have these types of conversations while I'm dealing with a migraine headache. Or uh, I will certainly make sure to get more details in the future before I 
jump to any conclusions and the way that I'm going to make sure that um, that I make sure to get more details is such and such and such you see you, you always detail it out for the person and in order to do that you have to de detail it out for who else for yourself you have to have really sat around and thought about these things it's not just blah 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 you really have sat and thought man that was a dumb mistake how am I how can I reasonably what are some practical things I can put into place to avoid making this mistake again in the future you've really thought about it so then when you communicate it to her or him or your children or your best friend or your boss even um, then you've got it all figured out you can it's almost like a map a map for how this will play out differently in the future okay now let's talk about things being out of balance and bringing things back into balance but before we do that let me make some quick announcements thelastsymptom.com is my website full of free and paid resources so please take a look at that you have the option to uh, have private phone conversations with me zoom conversations also there's something I call the last symptom fundamentals course it's a two-week intensive pre-recorded course it means it's it's all video recorded it's me talking like I'm talking here if you're watching this on YouTube or Rumble and um, it's a two-week course at least so um, the program is designed for anybody who is interested in authentic and permanent recovery from any emotional disorder but it's also beneficial I have many people who take the course who are in a relationship with somebody with an emotional disorder or who care about somebody with an emotional disorder and they want to insightfully understand what those people are dealing with inside and out so that then nothing's mysterious like why are they acting like this oh I know why they're acting like this I know exactly what's going on inside that person right now <clears throat> the course uh, the way that it leads people to permanent and authentic full recovery from emotional disorders is by providing insights about everything related to it the causes where it comes from how it behaves why it behaves that way and those sorts of things and gives people power over uh, things that they before were powerless to you know if, you, if you're ignorant about a thing then you're powerless to it once you understand how it's working why it's working how it got there why it's false what it's what the true opposites to that belief are then you become very very powerful and that was true in my case so that's called the last symptom fundamentals course and uh, you can enroll there over at thelastsymptom.com uh, remember that all the paid resources allow me to continue doing this they support uh, my work they support my ability to uh, come up with new things to offer folks in the way of this education work let's call it so it's much appreciated it, none of it is just to enrich myself in fact most of the finances that come in from last symptom I put right back into last symptom we have an online community over at thelastsymptom.locals.com we're about a thousand members strong content every day the most uh, exciting part about that is that I'm doing live streams on the group now every Monday 
And so you have the opportunity, if you're a supporting member there on our locals group, to uh, participate in those live streams every Monday. We talk about some really interesting things. And I was just telling some folks the other day that the superiority of the live stream is this. As I'm interacting with folks in that you know, you're in the chat and I'm interacting with you, the audience, the most beautiful part about that is that topics come up and I I think of things to say in a sort of off the cuff in that sort of off the cuff environment uh, or setting that I would never think of to say in an outlined show like the one you're listening to now so the spontaneity of it is really nice folks get to um, talk to me and I get to talk to them about things that are on their mind in in the moment you know sometimes I'm planning these the last symptom podcast week, weeks in advance well maybe something more pressing is on your mind <laughs> That, uh, that you'd like to see me address. Well, that's your opportunity, those live streams. So uh, think about that. Join us over there at thelastsymptom.locals.com. Another way you can join is you can download the locals.com app from the App Store and just search for The Last Symptom by Brian Barnett. All right, let's get back to this topic about bringing everything into balance. When I had my when I had my major borderline personality disorder crisis, uh, most of you know my backstory. But if you don't, you know you can catch up to it over there at thelastsymptom.com. But there was a moment where I suffered a major borderline personality disorder crisis. Basically, the pressures of live, having lived with it unknowingly for all my life just reached an unsustainable level for me and and I suffered a crisis where I did some crazy things uh, hurt a lot of people betrayed a lot of people I was living double, triple, quadruple lives all at once Um, and throughout that process you know I I like I say I hurt a lot of people I hurt my my ex-wife I hurt a mistress I hurt uh, my in-laws. I hurt all of my friends at that time, uh, all of our mutual friends. Uh, I let down a lot of people, a lot of people. And when this happened, I destroyed everybody's perception of me. I didn't only hurt them, and they didn't only suffer an, an intense betrayal, but I ruined their perception of me. My my actions actually caused lots of people hurt and feelings of betrayal, feelings of confusion, disillusionment. I remember my wife saying that she didn't know how she was ever going to trust anybody again because she was so certain that I was one person. And then she discovers through this crisis that the person she thought she was married to is not that person at all. He's somebody she doesn't even know. And how that just yanked the, the ground out from underneath her feet. So many things like that. 
my actions sent everything spiraling out of balance and into chaos. So you see the problem that during those years, the aftermath of that, the thing that was tearing me up inside truly was the knowledge that I had thrown everything into chaos for so many people, including myself, and the need that I felt inside of me that I did, I don't think I really consciously knew this at the time. Subconsciously I did. Subconsciously I knew that what I craved more than anything, what was keeping me up at nights, the worry in the pit of my stomach was this desire to want to bring everything back into balance. And I can't talk about this without thinking about Star Wars, <laughs> you know, bringing balance to the force. They always talked about that. Well, it, th that's what it was like. I felt like in order to put everything right, I had to bring everything in, back into balance. Now, those of you who are going through similar circumstances right now, maybe you sit and think about that for a while. Is that not what your soul is really crying out for? To put things right? To bring things back into balance? And maybe like me at that time, you think, well, how can I do that? There's too many things. There's too many things. I don't have enough time in a lifetime to put one million things into balance. And I don't have the energy or the even the, the wisdom or the endurance or the... It's just impossible. It's a... Uh, that is a greater thing to ask of me than I will ever be capable of doing. It's too much bigger than me. Do you feel like that? I had caused so much trouble in so many different aspects of my life and other people's lives that I felt like it was just the, the enormity of it was beyond anything that I, I was capable of doing. As I sat around thinking about how I was going to put everything right, and this is over the course of a couple years, me sitting around um, in mourning, I was really in a state of mourning for a couple years over all my losses, over all the, the harm I'd caused people, over the just terrible um, disappointment with myself. So for a couple years in this state of mourning, just like as if somebody had died, where you're just kind of walking around in a fog, in this gloomy fog, uh, that was me. And But this was always a constant on my mind. How do I bring things back into balance? And I wasn't really thinking about it in terms of balance and out of balance and that sort of thing. I was thinking about how do I put this thing, how do I make it all right? How do I make right what I have made wrong. And gradually over time what I realized was that there were not 50 different things or a million different things that I would have to do in order to accomplish bringing things into balance. Rather, there was only one thing. And in fact, it's not like um, 
I had lots of options and um, this was just the best option the thing I'm about to tell you no what I saw was that there were not many options there was only one thing that could bring everything back into balance that's it there was one thing and one thing only and that thing which again if you're dealing with this uh, a situ- similar situation to this and your life's in chaos and you, you're, you're in this state of mourning maybe it won't make sense immediately but we'll talk about it a little bit that one thing was me myself uh, how should I say this investing myself entirely into getting healthy for myself that was it the one thing and when I saw it it was like a it was it was kind of like an epiphany I saw how the puzzle fit simply by me in throwing my entire life investment into getting healthy in a sincere and genuine way not for anybody else but for myself if I could do that it would bring everything back into balance now here's what I'm not saying I'm not saying that I would recover all of my losses that's not what I'm saying I'm saying it would make everything right so there were certain losses that were never going to be reversed like my marriage it was I was never going to get that back I was never going to be with my wife again uh, there were certain other friends probably I knew were never going to ever want to have anything to do with me no matter what um, you know my home my home my life the whole life that I had I was never going to get that back so I'm not talking about recovering my losses or recouping my losses I'm talking about bringing everything back into balance, making everything okay again. And that was the answer. Me, myself, investing myself entirely into getting healthy for myself. Let's talk a little bit about why that brings everything back into balance. This is not on my outline here but uh, it occurs to me that maybe we should start with your parents let's start with my parents what would bring so I was raised emotionally abused by my parents um, and uh, they didn't you know they're not aware of this I was not aware of this until my own crisis and you know I was kind of obligated to begin studying these things but when I think about my relationship with my parents what is the condition they must meet in order to be in my life again the healthy condition they must meet in order to be in my life again the healthy condition is that they must be sincerely interested in working on themselves why is that because that's the recompense you see I was wronged they're my parents they had obligations to me 
responsibilities to me that they failed in. Serious responsibilities. Very serious. So that has to be an expectation that I have for them now. That they be genuinely interested in seeing what they did and, and, and the reasons that allowed them to do it. So it's a condition for us to have a healthy relationship. But by doing it, what does it do for me? What does it do for me, the person who was wronged, you know, very, very seriously wronged as an innocent child? Well, it provides the recompense. In other words, by them doing so, it brings everything into balance for me so that the wrong that I suffered is now negated by the recompense. Their sincere interest in accepting and working on understanding and undoing the causes of their abuse is the recompense. It makes it up to me. It makes it up to me. It brings everything into balance. Now, here's the interesting thing about the this conversation is that everything we apply to ourselves also applies to others. So, in other words, whatever healthy understanding we have about what is required from us to, you know, ourselves to qualify for forgiveness from others, well, then we also have to apply that to others. What is the healthy expectations we must have of other people in order for them to qualify for forgiveness from us? You see, uh, and folks who would argue that there is, should be no qualifications for, 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 for forgiveness are forgetting something important. They're forgetting that uh, no conditions or uh, expectations or anything on anybody is enabling. So I know everybody likes to think, well, we should just forgive everybody no matter what, no matter if they're sorry or not. But that's not healthy. It's also not biblical, by the way. The only, th the only type of forgiveness that is healthy is one that has expectations. In other words, conditions that people must meet in order to qualify for forgiveness. You know, a lot of people get... Uh, emotional emotions come in on this type of a discussion especially for folks who are religious because they think about Jesus Christ and how forgiven he was Jesus Christ did not forgive everybody he forgave people who met conditions you think about the uh, the religious leaders of the time yeah he didn't forgive them when he run the merchants out of the the temple uh, he wasn't all kind and cuddly and sweet about it. Uh, they were doing wrong, and he called them out on it. Now, the, the, the people that Jesus extended mercy to and forgiveness were those who met certain conditions. Uh, they, they had the right types of attitudes. Those are the types of people he extended uh, forgiveness to. So in our lives, people have to meet in order to um, qualify for, 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 well, I'm talking about serious wrongs. I'm not talking about, oh, you accidentally stepped on my foot. I'm talking about 
people who wrong us in grave and serious ways and um, are not open to accepting the wrong that they have done. Um, they feel no remorse for the wrong they've done. Why are conditions then and consequences so important? Because it's helpful for people like that. It, it can encourage unhealthy people to look inward and to make examinations for themselves that otherwise they wouldn't make. Think about, again, being a parent and about how you, you are responsible for disciplining your children. Why do we discipline our children? Because we're mean and we hate them and we just want to uh, make them sad and stuff like that. No, we do it because it's for their own good. Discipline is what? Discipline is simply a, a conversation about consequences. Consequences and conditions. If you clean your room, you can watch your cartoon. If you read the three books, you can play your video games. You see? Conditions. You didn't clean your room. You don't get to watch your cartoon. Consequences. So, the idea that we can offer healthfully, in any healthful way, offer forgiveness to people who aren't don't meet conditions and consequences, or don't... Um, that nobody should be subject to conditions and consequences is absurd. It's, it's the exact opposite of what is emotionally healthy. There's nothing cruel about expecting that a person meet certain reasonable conditions before we extend forgiveness to them. They first of all have to accept the wrong they've done. They have to be interested in understanding what allowed them to do that wrong and correcting those underlying issues. Then we can say, you know what, you've met, you've met the conditions. And now you've put things into balance so that I can healthfully extend forgiveness to you. Now we're gotten off a little bit there, but remember that the whole conversation is about bringing things into balance. So how is it that me showing genuine interest and investing myself entirely into getting healthy for myself puts things into balance for everybody. Here's how. Number one, we just kind of talked about it. It's the condition for qualifying for forgiveness from others. Remember the situation I'm in. I've ruined, I mean, I've really betrayed all these people. Now, here's the interesting thing. To bring things back into balance, it's not actually necessary that I am given their forgiveness. Think about that. The most important part of number one here is not that I actually receive all of these people's forgiveness. What is more important than me actually receiving their forgiveness? What's most important is that I meet the conditions to qualify for their forgiveness. And I remember specifically that, uh, that realization coming to me that whether or not I ever get their forgiveness is kind of irrelevant. All I have to do is do the work to qualify for their forgiveness. All I have to do 
is sincerely exert myself to meet the conditions which would qualify me for their forgiveness should they ever choose to give it to me. That's all I had to do. If I exert myself to meet the conditions to qualify for their forgiveness, then I've done my part. I have done my part. And now every everything comes into balance. That's one way. So that's an interesting point that you might want to jot down. Whether people ever forgive us or not is not is not the most important thing. Because you have to be well how do I say this? At the bottom of all this, I mean really what you're doing in order to bring everything into balance is you're doing everything for yourself. How else can I explain that? To bring everything into balance, you have to be satisfied with your own steps and efforts and accomplishments. That brings everything into balance. How so? Because whether or not anybody forgives you, you live in with the knowledge that you have, in fact, met the conditions to qualify for their forgiveness should they ever desire to give it to you, puts you at peace. That puts you at peace. So it's your own inner peace that brings things into balance. And what brings about your own inner peace? It's knowing that you have done the right things to make up and for and bring things back into balance. Now think about this, number two. How, uh, another way, that me investing entirely in recovering for my own self in a genuine way, think about how that is also the condition for forgiving ourselves, which kind of goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about, doesn't it? It's the condition for forgiving ourselves. Remember, I said, whatever we apply to others, we apply to ourselves. I was walking around very disappointed with myself, disappointed with all the harm I had caused. Now, how do I get to a place where I can forgive myself? How do I get to the place where I can healthily forgive myself for all this harm that I've caused others. Again, the answer was just one thing. Invest myself entirely into sincerely trying to understand what recovery. But when I, when I say recovery, what that really involves is a sincerity and understanding. What, what led me there? What allowed me to do that to these people that I claim to love? How can I prevent it from ever happening again? So it was a complete investment in recovery for myself that qualified me then to forgive myself. You see, it it qualifies me not only for others 
to forgive me. But now I can forgive myself. Oh, what a weight that was off my shoulders. What a weight that was off my shoulders. And really, forgiving ourselves is usually the most difficult of of all things. Other people will forgive us usually a lot quicker uh, and will overlook and forgive a lot more for us than often we will do for ourselves. Getting to a place where you feel like, yes, I have met the conditions to qualify for not only forgiveness from others, but I have met the conditions to qualify to forgive myself. What a weight that was off my shoulders. I went from miserable to happy when that happened. Number three, so not only is it a matter of forgiveness from others and forgiveness for ourselves, but it's the recompense. It's the way you make up. It's like you've robbed them of something and now you're reimbursing them. You see that? So investing entirely in doing the work to understand all the issues around the harm that you've caused, in other words, recovery, is the recompense. That is the way you pay them back. Think about um, your own parents. If you were raised in emotionally abusive uh, family, maybe you until now didn't even realize that maybe you're just starting to realize it because uh, as many of you longtime listeners or watchers know um, I, all the way up into my 30s I thought my family was loving and kind and just the best family normal family I thought that but that that's um, that's what blind people do uh, when you don't know anything else you're blind you, you can't see what's right in your right in front of your face until the results of that parenting reach a crescendo uh, an unsustainable crescendo and everything starts falling apart and nothing uh, and then you have to start examining those things and then you begin to realize uh, they were not as healthy as I thought and their type of parenting was not as harmless or as loving as I thought I was just blind I didn't know what I was <clears throat> experiencing but anyway it's the recompense so think about the conditions I have for my father to have a relationship a healthy relationship with me which involves him <clears throat> which involves the same thing the same expectation right the same thing that I saw would bring everything into balance for the people I harmed is now the same thing that I look at my father and say that's what he needs to do it would bring everything into balance it would make everything it would negate all the bad if he were to simply do that simply show a genuine interest and understanding and accepting the harm that he did cause the wrongs that he did uh, submit me and my brothers and sisters to and work on those things in a genuine way well, that makes it up. That makes up for everything. And here's the interesting thing about that condition that I have on my father, those qualifications that he has to meet and that I held myself to. They're the same qualifications or conditions 
that I held my own self to in order to be able to forgive myself, to qualify for the potential forgiveness from others, and those sorts of things. The interesting thing is that he doesn't have to be perfectly healthy in order to qualify for forgiveness, to make up for the wrongs that he uh, did. No, that's not the point. The point is that simply by the simple sincerity in trying to recover is the recompense. Am I making sense? So let me see if I can say it this way. For me to be able to forgive myself, it was not necessary for me to be totally recovered and healthy. That was not the condition. The condition was me trying and caring. Does that make sense? The condition for me being able to forgive myself was knowing within myself for for real that I am completely invested in this and I am sincerely working on this for real for myself. There, I've already met the conditions to forgive myself. I don't have to be at the end of it yet. All I have to know is that I am completely invested for real. So if my father were to do that, that would make it all right. See? I have no expectations from my father that I did not have for myself. If he does that, he's met the conditions for forgiveness. He has provided me the recompense that I need for things to be in balance. He will have met the condition to be able to forgive himself and receive forgiveness from others. Think about, number four, think about if you have children and you're saying, what do I do? I don't want, I don't want my children to be damaged by this. What do I do? What do I do? Where do I send them? What do I tell them? How do I discipline them? How do I raise them? What's the thing I can do to help my children not become emotionally unhealthy? What is the thing? The one thing. We've already answered it. A full investment by you to recover. A full investment by you to understand how you got unhealthy, why you're unhealthy, what that means, what underlying attitudes and perspectives do you live with that that cause that, how can you get rid of them, how can you fix them, how can you understand things in a healthier way. In other words, complete investment by yourself in an interest in getting healthy yourself do you see that that's the answer for the best thing you can do for your kids so while you may be thinking yeah but that doesn't involve me doing doing things for them like you know taking them somewhere buying them certain books or telling them certain things or disciplining them in certain ways those are all very superficial things they won't be effective they won't be effective do you see how you doing your own work to get healthy yourself is the answer. 
it is the thing that will have the most powerful positive effect on your children because think about this what will they be observing they'll be observing your sincere desire to get healthy they'll be observing the changes that you'll be experiencing as you get healthy they'll be uh, observing the changes in your fundamental attitudes about things your fundamental attitudes about their feelings their worth their dignity your patience your ability to demonstrate patience will grow you'll begin to adopt that as a stronger and stronger quality the quality of your love will change your ability to sit and listen to them and not take personal offense will strengthen and grow and become a quality that you adopt what is the answer for the best thing you can do for your children it's the same answer that we've been talking about today getting healthy and remember that the 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 ultimate goal of being healthy is not even what is required to to bring things to bring everything into balance it's it's where you want to ultimately get but before you ever get there you will have already met the, the conditions for required to bring everything into balance the the condition is not being healthy the condition for all these things is a complete and honest investment in getting healthy so when you've made that commitment you're putting in the effort you're sincere and genuine about it then you've already met the conditions you don't have to be at the end of the process yet in order to have met uh, to have brought things back into balance or to have made things right just don't don't ever stop but you know that's the thing is if you're sincere and genuine you won't stop if your investment truly is entire in other words if you're if you truly are completely invested in it then you're not going to stop halfway through otherwise you do you see that by stopping halfway through it means you were never fully invested to begin with by stopping halfway through it means you were never completely entirely sincere and genuine about it in the first place so that's something to think about we're talking about complete investment we're talking about sincerity (laughs) the reason why I use the word sincerity in the thing is because that in itself necessarily includes the fact that you're not going to stop halfway through because if you do that would mean I mean inherently that would mean you were never you were never fully sincere to begin with sincerity means you're you're fully invested you're genuine about your reasons for doing it and and if those things are true you will follow through well I had some other things to talk about here but I think we're going to save them um yeah we're going to save them good things too boy I would have liked to have included them in uh, this week's discussion but it's just going to mean that we're just going to have two weeks of awesome content 
Ladies and gentlemen, again, I want to encourage you to join us over there at thelastsymptom.locals.com and take advantage of those Monday live streams. Um, they're good. They're they're good. Um, and the the quality, you know, the the nature of them, just the fact that you can interact with me in in real time while I'm on the camera talking. Uh, you can interact with me through the chat and ask me things in live in real time and we can talk about those things uh, makes it a really nice added feature to the the regular content offerings here at the last symptom so think about it and uh hope you have a really wonderful weekend hope you're being kind to yourself and compassionate and patient and um uh, and all these things that often are easy for us to, in a, in a way, uh, extend to others, but can be harder to extend to ourselves. Take care. I'll see you next time.